Listener Production. A quick disclaimer before we get started. Although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. All the content and information discussed in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Remember, always consult your doctor before making any decisions about your health. The human body is amazing. It's a multitasking marvel, an ever-adapting work of art, and the only machine on Earth that can both create life and debate the merit of pineapple on a pizza. We're going out for pizza. Some would argue that the creation of life, i.e. pregnancy, is the body's best example of how marvellous it truly is. You see, pregnancy isn't just a lease agreement between you and Bob. It's a grand architectural overhaul that touches everything from the arrangement of your lungs to the DNA within your cells and the brain inside your head, which is important because motherhood is as much of a mental game as it is a physical. Trust me. Have you read this? One in four million babies are born with a full set of teeth. Picture this. You've got a fertilized egg setting up camp in your uterus. Your immune system, which is usually in keep it out mode, suddenly goes, wait, what the hell is this? It's a DNA discrepancy and your immune system goes berserk, attacking the foreign body with T-celled missiles of fury, while at the same time trying to protect it. It's a confusing time for the body, but eventually it accepts its fate. Put down, Schmidt. We're in for the long haul. While the egg is bunkering down, the body starts making relaxin and progesterone, hormones that loosen your muscles and ligaments to that of a rubber band in a hot summer sun. Your abs go on vacation, your digestive muscles take a coffee break, and your feet might even pull a Cinderella and grow a size. My feet are killing me. Don't expect a glass slipper to show up, though. Your feet might actually never go back to their original size. And this is also true for the size of your hips that expand in preparation for birth, which, frankly, I'm not too mad about. Your heart also transforms into an Olympic athlete during pregnancy, pumping 50% more blood around your body. And the expansion of your diaphragm causes a flight of stairs to feel like a mountaineering expedition. Throughout this wild journey, mother and child engage in a silent chemical tango. Genetic material and cells don't just travel from mother to child, but from child to mother too. In fact, scientist Diana Bianchi, a geneticist at Tufts Medical Center, found male fetal cells in mother's blood 27 years after giving birth in 1996. And the changes don't stop there. Your brain changes too. Grey matter expands in the brain after birth. AKA, our brain gets bigger. Well, duh. Science isn't quite locked down on how this happens yet, but it's thought that these changes are adaptive. Call it a mother's intuition. If you've ever wondered how a mother instinctively knows the difference between I need to poo cry and I have a fever cry, well, it's these fundamental changes in brain structure we have to thank. Mother knows best. Because it's not just grey matter that increases. Activity in the amygdala and the hypothalamus increase too. Areas of the brain that are responsible for emotional regulation, survival instincts and hormones. 
These changes are linked to a positive perception of the baby and an increase in warm and fuzzy feelings towards them, a crucial survival tool for those sleep-deprived nights. You see, becoming a parent is like getting struck by the love lightning bolt, especially in the brain department. It's the brain's way of justifying the heart-melting euphoria many new parents experience when they first lay eyes on their bundles of joy. But what if you don't get struck by that lightning bolt of love? One in five mothers will struggle with postpartum depression, and women who experience this also have an underactive amygdala. So they're not physically capable of riding the oxytocin high of newborn joy in the same way that others can. So if you're pregnant and feeling disconnected from your sense of self, can anything be done? If your hormones have you salivating over a box of chalk, are you going crazy? What can you actually expect when you're expecting? Hi, I'm Dr. Sne Wadwani, women's health GP and advocate, and this is Everything from A to V, the podcast separating the fact from the fiction when it comes to women's health. Here, we'll answer some of the most common questions I get asked by women just like you, and we'll debunk a few myths along the way too. But we were discussing matters of the vagina, Bruce, not the heart. In this episode, we talk to clinical social worker Lana Sussman from the Parent Village. She's worked with hundreds of new and expectant mums with their transition into parenthood, and she's here to share some of the nuggets she's learned along the way. So, Lana, uh, lovely to have you on the podcast today. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your area of expertise. Thanks, Nea. Um, So I'm a clinical social worker and an art psychotherapist, and I'm also the co-founder of The Parents Village, which is a private service that supports um, women and couples and families through pregnancy and post-baby parenting and beyond. And I've referred many a couple to you, many a lady to you, and I think uh, you provide a phenomenal service in that space. So thanks for that. Pregnancy is, I think, a bigger event than people actually give credit for. In fact, I saw an article in the news today. It was like this new discovery. The headline was, you know, pregnancy is far more transformational than we realise for women. And I was like, Yeah, that's not a surprise, really. (laughs) And so, you know, I think we spend a lot of time and certainly clinicians spend a lot of time and energy on focusing on the physical changes during pregnancy. When I think about an antenatal check, what's your blood pressure? What's your urine doing? What's the size of your tummy, your bump? You know, what's the baby doing? But we don't spend, I don't think, a lot of time thinking about the psychological changes you know, how a woman may think differently, all of that stuff. And then coupled with that, our organs have to make room for the baby, so everything's shifting around. The hormones are changing all over the place. So so what is going on? I mean, how do you deal with this with patients? I'm sure they, or clients, they must come to you and go, I just don't recognise myself. Exactly. It is just so massive. I mean, what other experience 
do we have in life that changes the inside and the outside in such an enormous way? And I think it does take people back, you know, like what what's going on? And and there's lots of jokes that fly around and lots of, oh, you know, my husband thinks I'm going crazy or it must be the hormones and all of that. And of course it's a it is actually a huge part. I mean we we joke about it, but hormones are very powerful things, as you well know. It's just so much in a person's life is changing. There is a lot that we need to adapt to in that time. So your relationship and your body and your friendships and and your, your thoughts and your feelings change a lot as well. Um, you're growing a little human. It's massive. We don't have a village. So, you know, people mm. used to go to their elders or their parents and they would see how this was all happening. We're very much in our little environments now, just our little tucked away in our little homes, not really seeing how things work, how things happen. And I, I really believe that the the lack of the village, which is why I called uh, our business the parents' village, is because in a way we have to outsource more than ever. And that means going to our doctors more, going to see counsellors and therapists more, getting that support and learning, just learning how to prepare for what is about to happen because I think the more prepared we are, the the more calm we can feel. And most of the time it's okay, right? Most of the time women get through it, they manage it, they blossom in it, they learn to adjust to a new normal and a new version of themselves. But there are the few cases, probably more than a few, where it's really hard for a woman to reconcile what's happened in that process, either through the pregnancy or even, you know, they might have had a fantastic pregnancy. It might be the postnatal journey and adjusting to a new baby that's difficult. But some women, it can lead to anxiety, depression. And we hear a lot about postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety. But how common, I mean, I know I see a little bit of it in the antenatal period. I mean, you see you're out there in, in the community talking to a lot more groups in this space. How, how often do you see it, Lana, in the antenatal period? Because I think sometimes we don't focus on that enough. But do we spend enough time thinking about mental health in women during the antenatal period? I mean, I would say we don't spend enough time and we should. I think the rate of postnatal depression is one in seven women and 40% of, of that starts in pregnancy. We're not catching it soon enough and, and we all know that pre- prevention is better than cure, right? So we want to get in there early and in pregnancy and once you've had the baby as well, it really does trigger your own experience of being parented and how you would like to be as a parent as well. Both positive and maybe not so positive can really come up during this time, particularly your relationship with your mum. Mm. Some people have a, a higher appreciation for their parents and what they went through because suddenly they are realising just how enormous it is. I think we just need to normalise a lot of these feelings and you know, when we know what is coming to a degree, I mean, you can never really know. I mean, it's like the matrix when you have a bet, you kind of go into another <laughs> world and you just kind of, it's like, wow, like everything looks different, but you can't know a hundred percent, but just to get an idea of some of the things that might come up and explore them is, is I think one of the best things you can do. Absolutely. And I think let's do it before there's a screaming bundle of fun in the house and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you can't even go to the loo when you need to, right? Um, And look, you know, 
we know also, and I think, you know, not many people realise this, not many women realise this, but if you've got a family history of anxiety or depression, even if you've had no symptoms ever, you're actually at higher risk of developing antenatal or postnatal depression or anxiety, aren't you? And, and you know, I find this really interesting when I sit and see my you know, my ladies when they come in and they're pregnant and we're celebrating that good news and then we go down the medical history and have you had a history of diabetes in your family? And then you go, you you sort of go over the topic of mental health. And sometimes there can be a real reluctance for women who've had a period of depression or anxiety in the past to disclose that. I do wonder if there's a lot of fear. If I say that, are people going to worry that I'm going to not going to be able to look after my baby? I'm not going to be able to cope? And then the the beautiful thing that I also often see will be, you know, is there any history of mental health problems in the family? And the most common response I get is, is that diagnosed yeah. or not diagnosed? Because <laughs> a lot of them have their own theories. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm sure my mum or I'm sure my sister Ooh. or dad or whatever have this, that and the other. Um, you know, and that's, I think that's really important, isn't it? It can be a real opportunity to unlock the conversation around mental health in, in pregnancy and the postnatal period. That's right. Yeah, I think it's important to keep balanced about that too. So yes, your risk increases, but that doesn't mean it will happen to you. And the best thing you can do is, is talk about it. I always feel like pregnancy and, and, birth and beyond is is so much about surrender it's the beginning of the shift of identity you know some women are really big gym goers and they start to just feel so super tired especially in that first trimester and the last trimester and they like well who am I without my gym four times a week my class that I love or without being able to do that some of the things that I love to do and I think it's almost like this is the first little hint of surrender, it's sort of like your body's just telling you that it needs to rest. And I think that our society really doesn't value rest enough. And we've got this sort of busy culture that really values being busy at all times and moving all the time. And actually, you know, it's a really sacred time, this time of pregnancy and you're, you're nesting. And so I think it, it makes sense that things do slow down. And so I sort of always talk to my women about, you know, really being really gentle on yourself and giving yourself permission to rest, just listening to the body because our bodies are so wise. I think that's really interesting. You talk about surrender and I think there's also something around, you know, not being in control. I talk to a lot of ladies around the delivery and there's a lot of energy spent on planning that delivery, you know, how am I going to do it? What is it going to look like? Will I have a water birth? Will I have pain control or not, you know? And actually, as I say to many of them, we're not in control of this situation. By and large, the the labour, the pregnancy is going to take its own path. There are things that we can do to affect that in some small way, but generally we're not always in a lot of control there. And that can be quite difficult for women, I think, to embrace. You know, it is probably the most precious, biggest event in their lives. And they actually have very little control. And then there comes the anxiety because, you know, we're so used to being in control. It's like, what? I can't, you know, I can't control this. You can definitely prepare. You can prepare, but you can't control. 
And I think that it's really important for all women to to know that they can have a wonderful birth experience no matter how this baby comes. I think a lot of distress, because I, I do see a lot of women uh, with birth trauma, a lot of that distress comes when they have had a pre-existing idea of what they want. And so the idea of having a C-section is absolutely horrific for them because they could never have imagined or they they feel some kind of pressure or that they've failed in some way. Whereas, you know, C-sections can be life-saving. And I totally understand there's a lot of pressure that we place on ourselves to have a type of birth because we we sort of place meaning on it. So often I'll say, well, what, what are you making this mean? Mm. Does it mean that you, because you haven't had a particular birth, does that make you a failure? Does it make, you know, if you have a natural birth, are you a warrior? I mean, aren't we all warriors? A hundred percent. It's about the meaning that we place. So yeah. These are the types of things that are really interesting to explore. And in fact, statistically, women who are controlling types who really need to know things, they have an increased risk of having a lot of disappointment when it comes to birth and postnatal depression and anxiety as well. So those are the types of things you might we might look out for in our rooms beforehand and just sort of work through that before, as you said, the screaming baby comes. Beautiful bundle of gorgeousness. <laughs> equally you know there's also this you know societal expectation which doesn't help does it this view that having a baby is this pinnacle of womanhood pregnancy you're so lucky especially in the context of what we're seeing now you know with infertility rates and and all of that kind of thing you know you're so lucky to be pregnant you're so lucky to have a baby you know and and there's massive pressure on women I think to enjoy it or smile about it you know almost like you don't have a right to be miserable if you're having a crap pregnancy Mm, that's right I think I think permission is so important. I give permission a lot, you know, not that I'm a person to get permission from, but we forget to give ourselves permission is what I mean. And I just remind them, you know, it's okay to feel shitty. It's okay that it's not what you (laughs) dreamed of, that you don't have the glowing skin. And it's okay that you went through IVF and had miscarriages and it was just such a huge thing to get pregnant. And you finally get pregnant and it's still feeling hard. Like, there's a lot of guilt that comes from women who experience that. And I think there's quite a high level of anxiety with couples who have gone through IVF because of the medical intervention side of things, but also the pressure. Mm. We've paid so much, we've done so much to have this. It better be amazing, you know, but you're setting yourself up already for disappointment. So we've got to give permission for all, you know, all feelings are welcome. All feelings have to be welcome. 100%. Like a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I think my my the line I often use is you don't have to love pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have to love it. There is no obligation to love it. There is a lot going on and for some women the symptoms are just horrible. And it's okay to say this is crap, you know. Uh, and just do the self-care stuff that, that makes it easier. Exactly. Something that I think can be really helpful is if we look at the things we can control outside of the birth situation, but that relates to it. So for example, get a great health practitioner who is on your side, who is there to help support you 
and also family members and friends, like get them surrounding you so you feel held during this time. We know that continuity of care is gives us the best outcomes. And so, you know, that's one thing you can control is get yourself some great, like that's your choice, right? Find someone who's excellent to help support you. I often use imagery a lot in the work that I do because I love to work quite creatively and symbolically as well. And I was recently doing some work with a client where we were imagining that the scales, you know, like the Libran scales, I mean, Mm. I'm a Libra myself, so maybe the image just came. But, you know, we imagined that she was that sort of the pole in the middle that's holding things together and she's strong and firm. But around her as all of these, the scales are going up and down around her because depending on what's happening, you know, mum might be giving you stress. Okay, that pulls it down one side and baby's breach, that's causing some stress because I want a natural birth, all these kinds of things. But you remain solid and strong and grounded in the middle and using these kinds of imagery, just like you would in yoga or other practices that involve meditation and keeping us calm and regulating our nervous system can be really helpful. So those are the things that we can you know, have a level of of control over and then just really actually practicing the trust. Because people say things like, you've got to trust, Mm -hmm. you've got to surrender. But if you're not used to surrendering or trusting, you can't just do it like that. You've got to pretend, you've got to pretend at first, you've got to work towards it. Because mostly people want to have control because they have a lot of discomfort with the unknown and they don't like to have that feeling. It scares them. So if we practice we practice being in that unknown space with something else, then we can work towards feeling more comfortable with with trust. And we talked a bit about, you know, hormones, hormones changing and fluctuating. And certainly that is a key component in how we feel both physically and psychologically. But one of the common things that I'm sure get brought up with you, get brought up with me, are around cravings. So what's your advice and what do you say to to ladies who talk to you about cravings? (laughs) Advice? Well, I mean, I've never been asked for advice about cravings, but if you're asking me now, I'd say go for it. Like, let's see how crazy it can get. (laughs) I know with me, it was really weird with my first. I craved everything from my childhood, like comfort food that I hadn't had in like 20-something years. These are kind of weird, but like spaghetti and cheese on toast and like marmalade on toast and cheese sticks, just weird stuff I would never, ever have. (laughs) There's cravings, but there's aversions as well. Like I remember my husband's like, I craved a McDonald's burger and he was, he could not believe it. I was spending a fortune on organic food, like love eating salads. Like he, he looked at me in shock and I said, shut up and just go, go do that drive through. <laughs> you know, I'm pregnant if I'm at McDonald's. There's some, you know, sort of thought around whether you crave what you need, you know, there is probably something in that when you, when you hear about women, you know, eating chalk, you know, and, and that sort of thing, you know, maybe they're requiring some of those minerals, um, you know, or calcium compounds in that space. It's quite interesting. Isn't soil another one? This is where it gets a bit interesting, really, because people who are quite significantly iron deficient or deficient in other minerals can have this condition called pica, which you don't often see in pregnancy, to be fair, but it is a a sort of a symptom where they will crave eating weird Mm. stuff, you know, often things like soil and chalk. So I don't know, maybe we should check iron levels in Mm. everyone who's got weird cravings. (laughs) If it's just a Macca's, then we might be okay. (laughs) But I guess here's the point I want to get across. 
Throughout pregnancy, you're going to feel weird, uh, not like yourself. You might feel a bit loopy. You might feel like eating soil from your fiddle leaf fig tree. But that's part of the normal range of symptoms. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. Because here's the thing, you know, I sit here as a medic and think the hardest thing I ever did was not working night shifts and jumping up and down on people's chests to keep them alive. That is not the hardest thing that I've done. The hardest thing that I've done or am doing is raising my children. You know, it is a whole body experience every day. (laughs) (laughs) you know, and something that you continually reflect and analyse on your progress with, which is a tough gig in itself, isn't it? And I think the important thing in that space is to forgive yourself a lot, isn't it? You know, there's also a lot of pressure to do it right. And and I remember years ago speaking to a child psychologist who, who told me, Snay, you know, women don't need to get it right all the time. In fact, that's really not good for a child. 40% is probably all right. You know, it's probably fine. And actually knowing stuff like that, knowing that children don't need perfect can be incredibly liberating, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the good enough mother. Imperfection builds resilience. And that's what's out in the real world. Just good enough is actually enough. And I think also, you know, my other, the line I use postnatal is the first year is survival. It's really hard. If you've got one of the babies that eats, sleeps, poos at the right time and is an absolute dream, hats off to you. Well done. And you're really lucky. But for many of us, it's not like that. And the first year is really tough, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah. It's all the milestones, the first six weeks. Okay, I've got I've got through that for the first three months. And then it's the first six months and then the first year. And then it's like that's where I, I encourage parents to have the champagne you know they've They've got through it (laughs) yeah absolutely you know um I think it's a huge milestone for parents and often by then as well you know yes you're exhausted but you know you can do it getting the support you can in that first year as well is really important because I feel like once you know you can do it it does get easier mental health is as important as how much the baby's growing what your body's doing and get that support as early as possible. What you'll find is that it's a real opportunity for connection and, you know, it might be an opportunity for for your mum to say, actually, I also found pregnancy really hard and that's really normalising for that person, you know, to hear that, oh, like it's not just me, you know, or speak to friends about it and, and open up about what you're going through. I think sometimes the worst thing we can do is keep it all in. We don't want to keep calm, carry on. We want to open up and and connect and share. I agree. And I think to also just embrace as much the psychological changes and the way you're thinking, because that's going to change. You know, as you go on the pregnancy journey, when you come out the end of that journey and you're a mum, it fundamentally shifts your brain as much as it shifts the body, doesn't it? And, and I think there's also that acceptance that there is going to be a new you that thinks differently, you know, that reflects differently. Just as your body isn't quite the same afterwards, neither is your mind. But that's not necessarily a negative thing, you know. It's actually, there's lots of fantastic changes that happen that allow you to love and care for this child, as well as grow as a human yourself. I know for myself, the biggest transition in 
in myself psychologically has been through pregnancy and parenting. And I'd like to say, I think I'd like to say, most of it's been positive. I've dropped some doozers, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) My kids would probably say so. But generally, I think the evolution of a woman through that process is actually pretty damn good. You know, it's pretty positive. It breaks and makes us. It really does. And I always say that, you know, our children become these little mirrors to us. They hold up things to us and we go, oh, okay, that's something I might want to work through. (laughs) It's really, it's really, really hard because, you know, a lot of us don't, we don't want to, we don't want to have to do that work, but it, wow, we become much deeper human beings as a result of that. And then we get to, you know, I remember when I was pregnant, um, this wonderful woman said to me, you're about to have the biggest love affair of your life. Oh, a hundred percent. Isn't that gorgeous? And I, I, that is true. That is true. Absolutely is true. And look, you know, also the women who are becoming mothers who, you know, haven't birthed, it's, it's, you know, there is still a process in that space. Parenting doesn't have to be through birth. It can be in other ways as well. But yeah, what a fantastic topic to talk about today, Lana. Really appreciate your time and everything you give back to our community in this space. It's such valued work. So thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Naira. And thank you for everything you do as well. Ah, shucks. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Parenthood is in fact hard. And not all of us see fireworks when Bub is born. But that doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. And your brain has more plasticity than we ever imagined. There's no shame in asking for help and there's no shame in seeking medical therapies alongside psychological ones. Remember, we all need support. A village, if you will, and your GP or other health professional is part of that. Be sure to join us next week for more debunked myths and your health questions answered. This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Sneh Wadwani. Producer is Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with sound design by Kelly Falston. Listener.